Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part two of small bowel tumors. And I spoke to you a bit about adenocarcinoma, and I spoke about uh, carcinoid tumors. And now let's look at a few other tumors. And let's start with GIST, or gastrointestinal stromal tumors. And this is an interesting tumor. This is a tumor we're seeing more frequently. Now, in terms of distribution, the most common location for a GIST tumor would be the stomach, but small bowel is number two. It's a mesenchymal tumor. It's usually exophytic, arising from the muscularis propria, with the duodenum being the most common small bowel location, though we seem to see it in many other zones as well. It's interesting it can present with GI bleeding or obstruction. Classically, lesions are large, but as I'll show you, we're picking up smaller and smaller lesions these days. Up to about a third of these lesions are malignant, and malignancy increases with extra gastric location, size over five centimeters, adjacent organ extension, or on path, mitosis per high-powered field of greater than one. In terms of some of the demographics, age 50 to 60 is most classic. It's rare before 40. It can be familiar. The symptoms I mentioned, GI bleeding is probably the one we think about the most, but anemia, abdominal pain, dyspepsia, palpable mass. In an article by Nishidi, 271 patients with stromal tumors, Two-thirds has symptoms that correlated with size. Over 3M are more likely to demonstrate necrosis than under 3 centimeters. It's interesting, obstruction, even with large tumors, is fairly uncommon. We always talk about pathology of these lesions, and again, the classification is benign, borderline, or lower high malignant potential, but that always is somewhat of a challenge, and the pathologists are learning more and more, and there is a bit less certainty than there used to be. The vast majority of these tumors express a mutant form of CKIT or CD117 that's detected on routine staining. CKIT is a growth factor receptor with tyrosine kinase activity. It's thought that mutations in the CKIT gene are causative for development of GI just tumors and that this is found in both benign and malignant just tumors. And the reason this is important is this is how uh, we end up treating these patients with tyrosine kinase inhibitors. Gleevec is a good example. Now, in terms of CT findings, the lesions sometimes are intramural when they're small, but commonly they're ex endoluminal or exophytic, and the exophytic are the ones that I'm most used to. When they get large, they can often ulcerate with necrosis. They usually don't produce significant adenopathy, and we have found 3D to be very helpful. Here's a nice example, large mass in the region of the second portion of the duodenum. This mass can be confused with a pancreatic mass, but the one thing you recognize is no dilated ducts, be it common or pancreatic. The lesion is very smooth and homogeneous. You look at the coronal view, it abuts the portal vein, doesn't involve the portal vein, very nicely defined. Look at the arterial side, very nicely defining the patient's uh, SMA and celiac, GDA, the vessels are barely even displaced. If you look hard on the MIP imaging, you can see the most minimal amount of vascularity in the lesion. Sometimes these lesions are very vascular. Now with GIST tumors, they can metastasize to liver. They're one of the tumors that has cystic metastasis. Here's a large GIST of the small bowel distally, and there's the primary tumor metastasizing to the liver. It's interesting, the primary and the MET look very similar. And when you do MIP imaging, you could see a lot of the neovascularity in that lesion. So just a very, very nice example of a GIST tumor and the classic liver metastasis. Here's, again, a coronal view showing you the mass. 
Again, we made the point before that just tumors often do not obstruct, even when they're very large. Now, I mentioned before that just tumors can present with GI bleeding, and we are picking up these more commonly now because we do CT often to look for the cause of a GI bleed. So this patient has symptoms of GI bleeding, and here's his vascular lesion within the bowel. Beautifully shown, okay? Classic vascular lesion. I actually read this case and I thought it was a carcinoid tumor because it was so vascular. This is before I really learned how vascular GIST tumors can indeed be, and this was a GIST tumor. What else could this be? I guess metastasis, like renal cell to bowel would be a possibility. When they're small, GIST can cause intersusceptions. Here's a small lesion. Let's look down into the pelvis. You can see that lesion centrally right in the middle of the pelvis. And when you look at it, there's the crescent, the classic crescent for intersusception. And if I narrow the windows, you can see the lesion, its subtle enhancement. Only a one centimeter lesion causing intersusception. So just tumors are becoming more important. We're seeing them more frequently, and CT is very good at diagnosing them, particularly when they're small and causing GI bleeding. So again, you think of a vascular lesion, think about a just tumor. What else? Lymphoma. Lymphoma is something that can involve anywhere in the GI tract. It can decreasing order of frequency, stomach, small bowel, colon, and esophagus. They're very commonly mole tumors, mucosa-associated lymphoid tissue lymphoma. T-cell lymphomas are particularly prone to bowel wall involvement of the ileum and jejunum, and these are very aggressive tumors and often will result in perforation. When you look at the CT appearance of bowel, uh, we recognize there are a number of appearances, and it's the same description that we used to do for small bowel series. These masses are more common distally than proximally, the opposite of a uh, adenocarcinoma. They can be infiltrative. They can show aneurysmal dilatation. They can show nodular filling defects, and they can be endoexenteric form with fistulae, so very large ulcerating type lesions. A couple articles. GI tract is the most common extranodal site of involvement in non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in up to 20% of cases. Now, the appearance is a variable. Here's a patient with ascites. Look at the patient's small bowel on the left side. Really thickened, long segments of involvement. Could this be an adenocarcinoma? Absolutely could be. Infiltrating in nature, bulky, you think lymphoma. Actually, ascites, we typically don't think lymphoma, but this was lymphoma. Long segment involvement, look at this example. Look at the extent of the involvement of the small bowel. Diffusely thickened, you think about an enteritis here, a GI bleed, hemorrhage, but look how extensive involvement is. This is a patient with uh, lymphoma with very, very extensive involvement. Now we do see lymphoma with small bowel involvement more common in immunosuppressed patients, or immunocompromised patients, typical HIV patient. This patient presented for PE. Look at the patient's chest. There's no PE, but there's a large mass involving the heart, involving left and right atrium, and this was a B-cell lymphoma. There it is very nicely in the coronal views. Well, when you stage this patient, you found this mass in the distal small bowel, a beautiful example of an ulcerating small bowel tumor, which was also lymphoma. So multi-organ involvement. Very, very nice example. Here it is again in the coronal view classic bulky ulcerating mass. If you ask me what this could be with no history, I would say just tumor. I also would obviously uh, consider lymphoma, which this indeed is. Adenocarcinoma less likely. This does not look like carcinoid. Could be metastatic.
if you didn't have any history of just trying to go through possibilities. But lymphoma, bulky lesion is probably your best choice. And it's very common, as in this case, to see lymphoma without significant adenopathy. Now, with lymphoma, the lesions can ulcerate, and they can be very large. Again, like with um, just tumors, they may be large and not obstruct. Look how large this lesion is. Look at the ulceration, the enhancement, the bulk of the lesion, but bowel is displaced, not necessarily obstructed. Infiltration very nicely defined. Now, lymphoma, as other small bowel tumors, can lead to intussusception. With lymphoma, it's often multiple sites of intussusception. The same thing is true with Putz-Jaeger syndrome. Now, with intussusception, just a couple points, neoplasms account for about 70% of intussusceptions in adults. Adult intussusception of the small intestine is usually caused by benign neoplasms, whereas intussusceptions of a large bowel are usually caused by malignancies. So just something to remember. And when you think about benign causes, we think about congenital, like Meckel's or cystic fibrosis. We talk about tumors like Poots-Jaeger's or inflammatory polyps or lipomas. We talk about malignancies, whether it's adenocea or lymphoma or metastasis, or functional causes, where I'll put celiac and Crohn's disease. With malignant tumors, uh, they cause about 30% of intussusceptions in the small bowel and about 50% of the large bowel intussusceptions. Adenocarcinoma is the most common pathology in these cases, though almost any tumor can cause an intussusception. Metastasis small bowel occur in melanoma, as well as lung cancer, breast cancer, and renal cell carcinoma. And these can often become lead points for intussusceptions. Now, in looking at this small bowel, a few years back, people were writing about capsule endoscopy that was 100% accurate in 100% of the cases. This one article here going back, only 6.3% of 27 small bowel tumors were identified pre-capsule studies. Now, it creates a lot of images, 50,000, that's more than CT, and it's useful in cases of um, unexplained GI bleeding. But when you look at the numbers, in fact, these days, it probably has an accuracy of 60%. It can miss bowel lesions due to improper bowel prep, rapid transit time, presence of blood. Uh, with strictures, the capsule can be retained and obstruction can occur. And here's just an example of one of the dangers of the capsule. And we see its use really decreasing. But here's a large mass involving small bowel. This was metastatic disease, a Merkel cell tumor to small bowel. And for whatever reason, they didn't get the message about this large tumor causing bowel obstruction. And they gave the patient the camera to look for why the patient had GI bleeding. And voila, look at that obstruction. That artifact is the camera. And that camera is going nowhere. It's obstructed by the patient's tumor. And here it is on the topogram. So again, very, very important. The camera, occult GI bleeding when CT is negative, perhaps will be helpful but again, know its limitations as well. Now, I want to mention also, I mentioned all primary tumors. Let me talk about metastasis. Metastasis small bowel can come from many different sources. Uh, we can categorize them in many different ways, but one way is by means of spread, intraperitoneal, seeding, hematogenous spread, or local extension. So if we look at some of the common sites of origin, Melanoma, we always think about lung cancer, carcinoid, ovarian, and colon are all common things. So what's our patterns of spread? I mentioned these three patterns. Well, when you think about intraperitoneal seeding, you're thinking about ovarian cancer, typical mucinous tumor, also appendix but colon. 
but ovaries, when we think about it. Hematogenous, you're thinking about breast cancer or lung cancer or melanoma. And direct extension, we think about pancreatic, most commonly think about pancreatic cancer in the second portion of duodenum, biliary, and colon, where you can see fistulae. Now, sometimes hard to tell what the primary is, but here's a great case, widespread liver metastasis in a patient with synovial sarcoma. But look at the bowel. The bowel is dilated, it's obstructed. There are multiple intersusceptions beautifully seen. When you look at the coronal view, there are also multiple enhancing polypoid lesions. Those are the things that eventually intersuscept it. But look how beautiful you can see those individual lesions. Again, the coronal display, dilated small bowel with water, transitions, all very, very nice. Now, with metastasis, sometimes metastases look like primary tumors. Sometimes you don't have the history, and sometimes you do have the history, but it can be difficult. This case patient has joined this, there's dilated ducts, and there's a humongous mass in the peripancreatic region. Now, I would not call this pancreatic. I think the pancreas is displaced, but perhaps it's this big gist tumor we spoke about before. Perhaps it's lymphoma. Perhaps it's a paraganglioma or some other type of neurogenic tumor. Well, there it is very nicely here. You can see it very nicely on the coronal views, the encasement, portal vein, and SMV. And this was simply a very nice example of metastatic melanoma. So you can see how difficult it can be. There's significant overlap potentially between primary and metastatic tumors of small bowel. Now, this is a very large tumor, not hard to miss. But as people are living longer, we are seeing more metastasis to small bowel, and that's not a surprise. They're often small. They can cause GI bleeding. They can cause obstruction. So it's very important that we look very carefully when we analyze CT scans for that possibility. So concluding then, CT, especially uh, CT enterography or dedicated small bowel CT, builds in our experience of the uh, CT of the small bowel and allows us to do it ever better. It provides the opportunity for increased lesion detection and for characterization. Scan protocols are critical to success and the importance of rapid injection, the importance of looking at things beyond the axial plane, the importance of understanding how to deliver contrast, and how they interpret the images is very important. And hopefully, most of all, this lecture helps.